0: If you're a publisher, you have a basic dilemma. When a reader comes to your site, do you want to make the most out of that visit? Of course you do. Parsley's clients solve this puzzle by using their analytics to power smarter content personalization. Parsley allows you to stay nimble so you can adapt to what your readers care about, even as their needs change over time. The smartest media companies like Bloomberg, The New Yorker, and Apartment Therapy are all using Parsley. To get more information about Parsley, go to parse.ly.com. Slash personalization. The BBC is government-supported in the UK, but it needs to fend for itself globally as a commercial enterprise. Jim Egan, the CEO of BBC Global News, says an entirely ad-supported digital news property is sustainable for now, but not necessarily in the future. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. On today's episode, I allow Jack Marshall, the Managing Director of Digiday Plus, to take the helm uh, in a discussion that he had with Jim Egan. This was part of an event we held recently for Digiday Plus members. You should all join Digiday Plus, by the way. Uh, Jim said there is no serious player in the commercial news space who is not thinking about reader revenue strategies at this point. He also talks about the revenue mix for running BBC's uh, business and more.
1: Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me here. Having you in your own (laughs) office. Uh, I was going to make a cheesy joke about bringing the Brit in to host the podcast at the BBC, but I won't do that. So, Jim, uh, I I wanted to just start by just having you sort of describe your role um, and I guess the way that the BBC is structured across the different brands and the various sort of different parts of the organization, because... Even for me, sort of growing up in the UK with the BBC, obviously what you guys do at Global News is sort of a, a slightly different beast.
2: Yeah, so um, the, the BBC is a particular model of f- funding. So uh, in the UK, the BBC is funded by uh, a household license fee, uh, which you can think of as a non-voluntary subscription, um, which... Uh, <laughs> Every home in the, the UK pays, which is about $15 a month. Uh, and in, re- in return for that, basically everyone has access to BBC radio, TV, and online content uh, for free and completely uncommercialized. Outside the UK, we have a very different model. So we are f- fully commercialized outside the UK, Uh, and essentially there are two bits of the BBC which operate internationally. Uh, The first is BBC Studios, which used to be known as uh, BBC Worldwide, um, and this is one of the biggest offices for BBC Studios uh, globally, which looks after all of our, what you might call, our entertainment uh, content. Uh, and then BBC Global News is the part that I run uh, and it does, does what it s- says on the tin. Uh, and the two main services we operate, are the BBC World News TV network, which is a 24-hour uh, rolling news channel uh, and bbc.com, which is its counterpart digital property.
1: I like the sound of non-voluntary subscriptions. That uh, has a yeah, nice ring to it. You know, the,
2: the, the <laughs> there are only certain market Conditions in which a non voluntary subscription can, can work, but um, yeah, we've been doing it for um,
1: nearly 90 years in the UK, so we're holding on to that idea. So, where does uh, BBC America fit into this equation as well? Is that that's, uh, an AMC yeah, so, um, joint venture? BBC
2: or? America is um, not part of the BBC stable that I'm involved in because we squarely look after sort of news and uh, topical. Uh, current affairs in information and so on. Uh, BBC America is now operated as a joint venture together with AMC Networks. Uh, and so, uh, actually, most of the people working on BBC America are based down at uh, the AMC headquarters a few blocks from here. OK.
1: OK, complicated, but I think I think we got it. Um, so yeah, I want to delve into some of the specifics on the business side in a bit, but I uh, just wanted to start by talking at a high level about sort of the broad news market over the past few years. Um, Obviously, it's been sort of a, a good time for publishers with you know, politics, what's happening in the US, the sort of Trump bump. Uh, obviously, we've had Brexit in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been sort of the emergence or re-emergence of fake news, uh, for want of a better term. Uh, so is it sort of a good time to be sitting in front of the BBC brand? Basically,
2: it's been... Uh I think it has has been a good good period for us actually. I mean, it's been an incredibly turbulent period, both here in the U.S., uh, in Europe, uh, and also more broadly uh, around the world. And you know, we are we take great heart from the fact that people are interested in what's going on. Uh, we are encouraged that young people are just as interested as people in other de- demographics. Uh, you know, we are optimistic about the way that younger audiences engage with and want to consume news that they think they can uh, believe in and re- rely upon. We think that's that's good for us. Um, and we also think it's good generally that um, young people are um, active politically, turning up in demonstrations, um, getting behind causes in a way that perhaps people had sort of uh, lost faith in young people's in, engagement with uh, politics and so- social movements. Um, more narrowly for the, the, the BBC. In many ways, what's been happening over the last few years has led us to just stick to what we've always done, actually, rather than do things uh, differently. So um, if anyone's got any familiarity with the BBC, you won't be surprised to hear that. We um, have not taken a side on Brexit. We've certainly not taken a a side on US US politics. That's at the very core of uh, what we do and what we uh, stand for. Um, So we we haven't gone out in pursuit of a Trump bump. Uh, We've been uh, sticking to the BBC's core values of non-partisan, impartial and fundamentally independent journalism. Uh, We've always thought that's very important and we're Delighted. There's still a vibrant demand for that.
1: Have you seen sort of increased audience (laughs) demand uh, for your coverage over the past sort of couple of years? Are people looking for I don't know new perspectives, outside perspectives on U.S. news? Or yeah, I mean, uh, actually, you know, there's, there's lots of talk about you
2: know the potential of China, of India, or of other sort of major high growth markets, but actually the US and North America has been a really significant market for us for a long time, but recently in, in, in terms of growth uh, as, as, as well. So, you know, we were really pleased over the summer with there was a media post survey rated us as the most trusted source of TV news in America, which, you know, is both unusual, a bit surprising, but also really encouraging for us uh, as a non-American news brand. Even just, you know, a few weeks ago during the... Um, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, Christine Blasey Ford uh, hearing. So our live stream of that was pulling about one and a half million to two million concurrent viewers, um, which was quite stunning, actually, because this was a live stream of uh, con- congressional hearings uh, and, and proceedings. It's not as if the BBC had a particular take on that. It's not as if you would have thought that the BBC would naturally have been the home for that sort of thing, which is mm-hmm. you know, very much a sort of national uh, American... Uh, moment, um, but people are coming to us in very significant numbers and, you know, our, our audiences are up nearly 50% over the last 12 months.
1: So what do you make, obviously, you know, you guys have the TV side and then the digital side with BBC.com. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you make of the state of digital news just sort of generally? Because we went through a period of a few years where it was just sort of scale for the sake of scale, um, aided by... Platform distribution and Facebook and all of that stuff, but um, I wonder if in the past sort of couple of years, year or so, the pendulum has sort of started to swing back in, back towards quality over over quantity. Maybe for want of a better way to describe that. Well, I, I suppose you know we, we we talk about
2: reach and reputation at the BBC, um, and you know everyone says well we're in, we're in the market for both, but you know, if we had to choose, we would. Emphasise reputation over the the size of our uh, audience. Although, um, you know, we we perhaps have been a bit late to the party, but uh, in a way that turned out to be fashionably late in the, in terms of our uh, relationships with uh, social media platforms and so on and so forth. So we've been. Um, somewhat uh, relatively recently, building out quite good partnerships with um, Apple News. Actually, we have a, a good working relationship with, with Facebook uh, and others. And We're finding that in addition to our own platforms, BBC World News and bbc.com, which are always going to be extremely important to us, we're finding new audiences on those platforms uh, as, as well. And, and we haven't been caught out by things like algorithm changes and so on in the way that some, some of the others have.
1: So, when you mean fashionably late, you mean you luckily didn't get sucked into that year or two of craziness and it's ended up working out for you.
2: I mean, it's. Um, I mean, well, my my take on this is that I think you know working with the tech giants and the major social media platforms needs to be part of your strategy. But if it is your strategy, that's not a good place to be. And some people have learned that pretty uncomfortably over the last six to nine months. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We'll be back after this quick break. Start making the most out of your site visits. Even though media companies like Condé Nast, Slate, and The Penny Hoarder might not have the same goals when it comes to their audience size or interest, they are all using the same technology, that is Parsley, in order to adapt to their readers' needs. With Parsley, you'll have a proven recommendation engine to use that allows you to fine-tune what content you show to your visitors based on your own specific business needs. That means you can start showing your readers the stories and information they'll be most interested in and keep them reading. The power behind this recommendation engine comes from Parsley Analytics. Parsley believes in a world that values attention. Learn more about Parsley and their content personalization solution now at parse.ly slash personalization. Now back to the episode.
1: Does your sort of heritage on the TV side, do you think, help in negotiations with the big platforms and the way things are headed generally with video and some of that stuff? No, i um,
2: you know we, we were talking about this uh, a little bit bef- bef- before we came on that you know we are still enthusiastic advocates of our tv channel uh, and, and then the, the network and it you know it gives us resources in, in video which you know we are delighted to have and which are definitely a, a strategic asset for us so you know when we a few months ago you know we were the first non us publisher to get a deal with facebook watch Uh, in the news sector, we're launching that in a a few weeks' time. And in part, that's because of our TV credentials as well as our digital ones, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. So just talk a bit about um, the areas that you're investing in when it comes to sort of TV versus digital. Again, as you just said, you know, TV is obviously sort of going to be a big part of what you do. But again, you know, you are working with Facebook Watch. Uh, Obviously, you have your own digital properties. So how do you see that evolving over the next sort of three to five years or so? Yeah,
2: look, I think... um, we're a long way past the stage where people thought that their video strategy was as simple as just chopping up what was on the TV and sticking it on on, on the web. So, we've had um, quite a few sort of made-for-digital uh, video in initiatives. Uh, we moved very early into uh, vertical video, for in, in example, um, and we're finding that a, a rapidly growing audience for that on Apple News uh, in, in particular this year. At the beginning of this month, we launched a BBC Reel, which is a home for the BBC short-form factual video content, where we're pulling together um, short-form video from lots of different bits of the BBC and putting it in one place, Uh, BBC Reel, in a way that's playlisted, that's very kind of slick and fast uh, video play uh, and so on. That's um, good for us. Uh, The audiences like it. It's it's a place they can go to get some of the BBC's, not so much our news content, but more of our evergreen sort of features uh, and lifestyle uh, type content. And of course, it's the sort of thing that advertisers are interested in too.
1: Are there still um, challenges on the monetization side when it comes to working with different platforms? I mean, you mentioned Apple News, for example, Mm -hmm. that sort of famously for years has been, was slow to get going on the revenue side, let's say. how do you kind of think yeah. about that? When I mean, I'm sure choice.
2: everyone has the same answer to that, which is yes. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, are, there are definitely challenges on the uh, monetization side. Um, but w- w- we're in the position, because, because we're building out those, those relationships, uh, and also because although we are growing fast, our market share is still relatively small, that, that additional traffic and distribution is broadly incremental for us rather than something that it feels that it's cannibalizing our own on-platform audiences, so we're in a position to generate meaningful revenues from those relationships as well that feels like it's additive uh, rather than something that's causing a problem for us.
1: Okay. Talk a little bit about your your revenue mix. Obviously, on the TV side, you have carriage fees, I assume, on that side of the business. Um, On the digital side, obviously, you have display. Um, I think you do sponsored content. You have a mm-hmm. studio of sorts. So, just give us a sense of, of how that breaks down. So,
2: yes, we we started um, digital advertising in two thousand and seven. So, we've been doing that for more, more than a decade. Um, and during that period, the uh, relationship has changed very, very very quickly. So, we used to be known as a TV uh, network operator, and we used to have to sort of persuade people to think about trying out some digital advertising. And that's flipped. Uh, so now uh, the, the, ma- the majority of our total advertising revenue is uh, digital rather than uh, on, on TV. And people often start out on digital and then think about uh, a, a little bit of uh, t- TV exposure. Within our uh, digital uh, ad- advertising, you know, like lots of other people, we've been uh, diversifying over the, over the last few years uh, away from pure reliance on display. Uh, we do participate in the programmatic space, probably about close to 20% of our total revenues this year will be uh, pr- programmatic. Uh, we've done deals over the last 12 months with entities like Teeds and TripleLift uh, and, and, and so on. Um, the big investment for us has been in branded content uh, with BBC uh, StoryWorks, which has been running for just over three years now. Uh, we're really pleased with how that has gone, and, you know, we think that... It's a relative strength for the BBC to be making content. We talk about it as a sort of the creative agency with newsroom values. And close to half of our advertising this year will have an element of, of content to it.
1: Are there are challenges. I mean, one thing we hear at Digiday all the time uh, on the, the branded content <laughs> side is, you know, the, the revenue is great, but the margins are hard when it comes to uh, sort of publisher studios, and writing content, and some of that stuff. How do you balance that? It's
2: because um, content is expensive. That's yeah. the reality. Yeah, and you know, good good content is is expensive, but also worth worth paying for. So yeah, it's 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 an issue for everybody that you know you want to be ensuring that you're enjoying profitable growth rather than just simply uh, top top line growth. Um, so we we work pretty hard on that. You know, we have our own. You know internal rules and guidelines, um, but we've 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 invested to ensure that we have an ability to deliver that um, at price points that are that are right. So we've we've added um, Storyworks teams not just in uh, places like London and New York, but also in Beijing, uh, in Delhi uh, as, as, as well. And the uh, you know the 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 price of an of an entry ticket in branded content in markets like China and India is rather different to what it might be here, um, and so we have to ensure that we're resourced in a cost-effective way.
1: So we kind of touched on sort of the, the news climate, and I think a lot of news organizations have enjoyed um, sort of a boom in traffic and audience demand over the past couple of years. But I think, interestingly, on the, on the commercial side, sort of it's been a bit of a double-edged sword because we hear from a lot of advertisers that increasingly they just want to stay away from news content. We've heard yeah. a lot of advertisers saying, "Look, especially when it comes to programmatic, we just we don't want to touch it. We're going to blacklist anything to do with news." Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you think has impacted you, or and how do you sort of educate the market around a, a different way of thinking? I guess.
2: Yeah, it, it has impacted us to a to a degree, and it's it's something that, to be honest, I feel pretty strongly about because um, you know most people in their day to day. Conversations will observe that we are living in pretty remarkable times, uh, both in terms of politics and society. And look, you know, I, I understand advertisers' reluctance about where um, where where their advertising appears and the sort of content it it it, it appears around. Uh, but you know, I I'm afraid I regard blacklisting as you know absolutely the wrong response to that because. Uh, you know, we are in a battle for survival, those of us who are still engaged in what you might call quality journalism. Uh, and if you if you simply, you know, turn off the financial taps to that, then, you know, don't be surprised by what happens as a re- result. So, you know, we try to work very positively with advertisers, engaging them in being clear about the range of BBC content that, that is available, uh, using... Um, tools like grapeshot and so on to be very, very specific about where advertising will appear, and I think um, you know, we, we need to have a more engaged and positive conversation in the industry about um, ensuring that we can provide a brand safe environment and of course the BBC talks confidently and I think pretty authentically uh, about that, but doing something that 's you know in the long term more constructive than simply saying we 're not going to advertise around news because if there's no money left for the news industry, then the sort of new I- news industry we will be left with is one that no one will be proud of.
1: But is that advertisers' sort of responsibility to to step up and play their part there? Do you think?
2: <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm I'm not sort of uh, calling for a sort of sense of um, you know s- civic duty and moral responsibility uh, on the part of um, ad- advertisers. I'm I think it's 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 more about uh, so- something which is taking a slightly longer view, realising the the value uh, and the ongoing demand and interest that audiences have in serious journalism uh, and, as I was saying at the top, audiences of all demographics and all all age ranges and realising that there is a commercial opportunity for advertisers in working with publishers who who can offer the sort of environment that they want but also the sort of audience that they want and the sort of engagement that they hope for.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's, there's sort of a sense of irony there because increasingly we're seeing brands sort of trying to latch on to causes. And, um, you know, we hear a lot about millennials wanting brands to stand for something. And then on the other side, the same brands are saying, hey, we don't want to advertise anywhere near news related content. So it's sort of a dichotomy there to a degree.
2: Okay. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's right. Um, this sort of cause and, you know, the sort of brand affinity movement that we're seeing, which, again, encouragingly, is driven at least as much by younger people as it is by. Uh, any, any other age group is something that has to be positive. You know, people are engaged in the world, they're concerned about what's, what's going on. Um, and that, that sort of notion of brand affinity surely applies to publishers as well as the advertiser brands.
1: I want to take a quick break here and tell you about the Digiday research panel. This is open to anyone who wants to participate. This is about really sort of tracking industry uh, trends uh, from the people that are sort of making it happen. So that's everything from uh, how ad buyers are spending their money, uh, where publishers are getting their revenues. Um, and as part of the panel, uh, anyone who participates in these short anonymous surveys uh, will receive uh, any resulting research and data that uh, that we get from the back end. So we'd like everyone to apply, again, digiday.com slash, slash research panel. Um, and then, yeah, any research that you participate in, uh, you will receive uh, via email a, a report. If you want to get all the research we do, and not just the research you participate in, then subscribe now to Digiday+. Digiday.com slash subscribe. Uh, all of our Digiday+, members will receive any research that we conduct, as they do already. But also, uh, just being part of the research panel, uh, you will receive discounts to Digiday+, um, discounts on uh, tickets to Digiday events uh, and other perks as well. Now, back to the episode. I'm just curious, I mean, how at a high level, how sustainable is uh, an ad-supported news opera- operation in 2018, do you think? It's a big question. Yeah. <laughs>
2: uh, I, uh, okay, so uh, I would say Quite sustainable, but not necessarily future-proof, right? So, so, look, I mean, to to be a bit more uh, open about that, we currently run an entirely advertising-supported property uh, on bbc.com. I don't think there's any serious player in the commercial journalism space who isn't thinking about reader revenue strategies uh, and and what, what they might be. We are thinking about reader revenue strategies, but I should stress, you know, we're thinking rather than doing uh, at, at, at this stage, uh, and the size of our audience, the ability for the BBC to provide news and information that people can believe in and rely upon, free of the points of use, is something that's been an important part of what, what we've done historically. But it's, in the end, it's not getting any easier out there, uh, purely relying on, on advertising.
1: Yeah. So when you say reader revenue, what? might that look like in theory for a BBC? I mean, we've seen a lot of publishers obviously pushing into subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have commerce on the other side. Events has obviously been a big one.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: mm-hmm. I'm just mm-hmm. curious, what could that look like for the BBC?
2: Yes, so um, I think it's very unlikely that the BBC would ever move, move into commerce. Right. Um, we do participate and we do run events. Um, we've done quite successful events both uh, here in New York, also in sydney uh, other 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 parts of the world um, my reflection on that generally is that you know events is a sector that you need you know you you need to be sure that you can scale it um, and doing a series of one off occasional events is quite hard to 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 ma- to make money from
1: so events are hard to scale generally I think
2: difficult and you know it's not as if it's an uncontested space right yeah so uh, you know I think we are we are looking more at what the options might be around a direct-to-consumer model on bbc.com itself Uh, but I should stress that I think the idea of the BBC putting up a $9.99 paywall right at the front of bbc.com is very very unlikely Uh, and you know this is one of the most interesting and fast-moving parts of the industry right now and seeing the range of charging models um, and the different types of relationships that publishers have with their audiences is really fascinating. We're trying to figure out whether there's one of those relationships and models that's right for us.
1: Do you believe fundamentally that paywalls are potentially bad for democracy? I mean, we've had like, you know, Jonah Peretti famously has argued this. um, and then BuzzFeed have since erected a paywall of sorts. So it's... um, (laughs) I don't know, do you sort of buy into that or...?
2: I don't don't think I take an in-principle view on the idea that paywalls are bad for democracy. I think what's really bad for democracy is having news that no one can believe in anymore uh, and quality journalism needs to be paid for somehow.
1: Okay. So talk a little bit about... about, uh, Switching gears to TV a little bit, your, your mm-hmm. Vice partnership, which I, I thought was an interesting one. Um, not necessarily two brands that you would imagine to be working together. But yes, I uh, suppose that's, that's part, that the
2: point? partly why I, I pursued it. And um, you know, We thought that the Vice News Tonight Show here in the US was um, an impressive and refreshingly different form of uh, jur- journalism um, Vice were interested and remain interested in building out their brand and their profile in- internationally. So it's, you know, it's not an earth-shattering deal. It's something which gives us... Um, what we do is we wrap up Vice, Vice News tonight and we do a, a weekly best of, and we run it a, f- a few times uh, at, at the weekend outside North, North America. Um, our audience is like that. Um, it's something that... Perhaps is a bit unexpected in our schedules, um, but we've had really positive audience feedback. Actually, because I think you know, fundamentally, credit to Vice, there is some really good journalism going on on, on in that show, um, and so we like the ability to carry the content. I think it's good for Vice to have access uh, to our, our distribution uh, and audiences, and um, together with Dominique Delport, you know, we're we're talking in currently non-specific but interesting ways about what else we might do.
1: Okay. Interesting. What else? What else could that look like? Do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Must be nearly time for a beer. We can revisit that one. Are you in talks with? Obviously, you're you're working with Facebook Watch. Um, Is there anything on the horizon with sort of the Netflixes of the world in terms of sort of branded productions on that side, or Uh, nothing on the
2: short-term horizon uh, just just yet? I mean, it's it's been interesting to watch.
1: But is that something um, you'd entertain, I guess? Yeah,
2: yeah sure. I mean, we, uh, so f- f- for example, in Japan, uh, earlier this year, um, we struck a, a really interesting deal with Yahoo, which remains by far uh, the most popular portal in, in Japan. So there is, there is a version of the BBC World News Network, which is going out for nine hours a day uh, off the front page of uh, Yahoo in Japan. That's been really interesting for us uh, in audience terms. It's been uh, very significant to our Japanese business uh, f- financially uh, as, as, as well. Um, we, we don't have any active conversations underway with Netflix. We are participating in Amazon channels uh, a, a little bit. Um, so, some of those VOD and um, SVOD players you know, are starting to get interested, certainly in current affairs, if not in you know, ro- rolling news and so on, and um, you know, I'm hoping that's going to be a, a, you know, a fruitful area for us to explore.
1: Okay. Uh, and what about on the audio side as well? Again, BBC, a long history in, in radio and audio, obviously yep. with you know, the emergence of Google Home and uh, Amazon devices, I, I could imagine that's potentially a, an opportunity for you guys. Yeah.
2: So, um, you know, podcasts are sort of one of the interesting sort of almost retro ideas from nearly, nearly 10 years ago that um, are doing really, really well now. Um, we struck a deal with um, Acast earlier, earlier on this year to monetize some of our... Podcast inventory, that's that's going well. But I think uh, you know, you you talked about probably the most exciting area, which is voice, uh, voice access to the web. Um, and yeah, we we have some skills on uh, Alexa. Uh, we're talking with um, Google about about their products as well. Just like everybody else, the kind of commercial model for that is not yet clear, but it's. It's very clear, given the adoption and take-up rates of these devices, that it's going to be a very important new frontier. What
1: about um, AR and, and VR as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, is that the first acronym we've had? Maybe. Nearly. I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't know. We've seen other newsrooms, you know, New York Times and, and some others, sort of pushing into VR. And is that something yeah. that interests you at all? Or?
2: Yeah. I mean, we 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 talk about um, AR products um, and uh, bit, bits of content which we think work really really well uh, for AR. So, um, we've got uh, something in the pipeline called World of Wonder, which is kind of sort of geography and sort of nature-based um, take on uh, A- AR, um, BBC Design, and, and getting behind some of the most intricate and sort of world, world-famous designs using A- AR and, and VR. So. There is, there is definitely still sort of editorial interest on our part in uh, AR and, and VR. There is still some ad- advertiser interest. I think what is really holding it back is, in contrast to sort of smart speakers and so on, that you know the adoption rates Consumer adoption. for uh, these, these devices remains low to the point of being worryingly lower.
1: <laughs> yeah. OK, cool. Well, as we start to wrap up here, I just wanted to ask you, talking of uh, buzzwords and acronyms, which Buzzword or acronym frustrates you most? <laughs> well, you don't have to pick one. You can you can pick a couple if you want. Um,
2: so, uh, the so uh, a question that sometimes frustrates me is people say, "What about AR and VR and AI, right?" So my question. No, 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 <laughs> no. no it's, um, it's, it's, the the, it's it's the bracketing together right. of AI as if it's Part just just another thing, right, yeah. in, in 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 that menu because. AI is something that we have got lots of R&D work uh, underway on, and I think these will be profound and very, very fundamental changes to the way journalism is done and consumed. And AR, AR, and VR, you know, they are they're, they're interesting. You know, they might go the way of 3D TV. They they might actually start to take off and, and gain purchase, but. I think people failing to appreciate just how significant artificial intelligence and sort of machine learning and those sorts of implications on on journalism—that is—that is really serious—and uh, that's one
1: of those things that will we underappreciate the long-term significance of that. C- can you give a couple of specific examples? Because I mean, we hear—you know—everyone is talking about AI, you know, on the mm-hmm. ad buying side, like you know, on, on the publishing side, mm-hmm. but. I don't know, just give me like a specific example well, of you, know, you going to be As, a as I said, change. I mean,
2: it's mainly on the sort of the R&D end rather than uh, we don't have any too many major consumer facing uh, initiatives. You know, we've done some chatbot type, type stuff, things like, you know, trying to explain Brexit jargon and what's, what's, what's really going on. Uh, and that's, that's been quite interesting to us. Um, we've got some uh, AI based sort of user journeys and onward segmentation and recommendations that's going on trying to understand audiences um, using some machine learning and suggesting other content that they, they, they might get. Um, it's very, very early days, but um, AI is much more important, I think, in the long term than AR and VR will be.
1: Okay. All right, well, we'll leave it there. Jim, thank you so much. Thank you very much.
0: One-size-fits-all doesn't fly online anymore. Start delivering a customized experience that exceeds your audience's expectations with Parsley's content personalization solution. The NBA's Minnesota Timberwolves have been using it on their site and have seen an increase in fan engagement. They're seeing these results because they're adapting to their visitors' interests. Learn more about Parsley and how you can use content personalization solutions at parse.com l y slash personalization and thank you all for listening this show is produced by didi sangal tell us what you think tweet at me i am at bmrc on twitter or email me with your feedback my email is bmrc at digiday.com and here is a shout out to kareen umohumuza who tweeted i love at rafat's no-nonsense take on B2B media companies in his recent Digiday podcast interview, Worth a Listen. And also to former uh, Digiday podcast guest, Jason Kent, um, who tweeted, Love this point by Guardian CEO. Number one reason why people contribute is to make it available for people who can't. Recommend entire Digiday podcast. Lots of smart lessons, comma, exploration. Thank you, Kareen and Jason. Um, Please do head over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get this podcast and give us a rating and leave a review. This helps our podcast be discovered, or so I am told. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with a new episode.